Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. On this edition of Cubs Talk Podcast, sponsored by Wintrust, home of Cubs checking, Gordon Wittenmeyer and I talk with David Axelrod, the former political strategist who helped rocket Barack Obama to the White House for two terms. But he's coming on to talk baseball because he is a diehard baseball fan, loves the Cubs, also follows the White Sox, has season tickets in both spots. He is very eloquent. Enjoy. Let's play two. Way back, it might be, it could be. Welcome to our Cubs Talk podcast brought to you by Wintrust, home of Cubs Checking with Gordon Wittenmeyer and our producers, Tony Gill and Jeff Nelson. I'm David Kaplan, and our special guest is David Axelrod. Now, David is best known in the political world. He is the director of the Institute of Politics at the University of Chicago. He is a senior contributor on CNN. You have a podcast called The Axe Files, but we wanted to talk baseball with you. All right. Our Cub fan. Yeah, I am. A, I am a. Uh, I am a, a deeply committed Cubs fan. But I have to acknowledge, and I always get. I always get crap from this from Rahm Emanuel and others. Uh, I'm from New York originally. I grew up rooting for the Mets, hating the Yankees. That's the way I was raised. I was raised well, uh, and then I came to Chicago, and I didn't have those same tri- sort of tribal, uh, uh, you know, sort of ingrained impulses and so um i have season tickets on both sides of town i'm excited about uh about both teams uh but you know i i was raised a national league guy and so uh i i consider myself i have a foot in both camps but a cub hat on my hat on my head here there you go gordon what did you what'd you make of the uh, cub Sox games this uh, this week and and you think they say anything about what's coming I really don't. I don't know what you think, but um, look, I, I think the Sox are. Um, I think the Cubs are a really talented team, and the question is whether that all gels. Their pitching staff holds, uh, and over the course of sixty games, that shows. And I, I really hope it does. Um, you know, we all had such high hopes in two thousand and sixteen that there were more good things ahead. And like, I don't care. So, so here's my nightmare, Gordon. Here's my nightmare. I think these teams are good. 60 game schedule anything can happen. But what if we have a what if what if you have a subway series and nobody can watch the games? Oh boy. Yeah. It's like that could happen. It could happen. That's so uh Hub Sox would be horrible to not be able to go. Yeah. So uh but we'll see. I that's a high class problem though. I would take it. 
if that's uh, if that's what happens. But um, you know, I just I think there are a lot of the, the the White Sox are an up and coming team, and I have no doubt that if not now, then soon they're gonna they're gonna break through in that division, and they're gonna they're gonna be a force. The Cubs have the potential to be a force. They were a force, and the question is whether they can cohere that people don't get hurt. Pitching staff holds up. Can they get another something out of another year out of Leicester? Uh, you know, can the bullpen perform? Uh, I mean, there are a lot of open questions here. And I fear that if they don't, that this is the last time we're going to see this group together. You guys would know more about that than me, but that's what I fear. So let yeah. me ask you, too. You talked to Anthony Rizzo. He fears the same thing. Yeah, he said that the other day to me on the radio. Well, he hit a homer yesterday. If he keeps doing that every day, he well, can maybe keep the wolves from their doors. Huh? He keeps facing Homer Bailey, he will. Yeah, that's 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 true. So, that's David, true. let me ask you this. I walked up to – I was at a, doing a Northwestern basketball game. This is many years ago. And I look, and I they were playing Brown. And the coach was Craig Robinson. Yes. Look behind the bench, and there is Senator Obama. Yes. And so I get done with my post game, and he's hanging around to talk to his brother-in-law, and I, he's got this old, tattered White Sox hat on. Yeah, still has it. Him, and I had interviewed him before on my sports show about something in the political world tied into sports. He's not a huge name yet, and I walk up to him, and I said, I'm David Kaplan. You've been on me. Oh, absolutely, on WGN Radio. I said, yeah, and I can get you a nice, crisp, clean Cubs hat. And he stopped, he looked at me, he goes, that will never end up on my head. I'm a one-team guy. And yeah. I actually respected that. So what was it like walking around in the West Wing and the Cubs are rolling or the White Sox are a really good team? What were those battles like? Well, just remember, just remember that there is a Cubs fan in the family, and that's Michelle Obama. That, oh. no, that's not, not widely known, but she – she grew up a, a Cubs fan, so uh, they were a mixed they were a mixed marriage. Um, you know, I'll tell you a funny story. I mean, Obama follows baseball, but it's not his number one sport. Basketball, he's big college football uh, fan, and he was invited during the Senate race in two thousand and four to throw out the first pitch at the Kane County Cougar game, and we went out there and. Um, and he took the ball and he threw what I think I could generously describe as a parabola to home plate. <laughs> and the Cougars were just merciless on him. He throws like a freaking girl, isn't it? <laughs> and, uh, and Obama said, well, they were, you know, they had kids on the mound. I had to kind of avoid them and so on and so forth. But uh, the next year, the White Sox were in the championships the al championships they invited now senator obama to come and throw the first pitch and he arranged with the cubs who were out of town to go to wrigley field and he spent two hours throwing to uh his body man uh who uh, who was catching uh to uh to because he was so worried about uh <laughs> Uh, about not uh, repeating the Kane County, uh, Kane County Cougar uh, experience. So he, he is a White Sox fan. There's no doubt about it. He's a Southsider. And um, uh, when he pitched, when he threw out the first pitch at the All-Star game, when he was president, he wanted to wear a White Sox jacket. And the league said, no, you can't wear a White Sox jacket, you know. Uh, so 
Um, he, he, he didn't. Um, but when he got to the mound, he pulled his raggedy old White Sox hat on, off, out of his, out of his jacket, put it on his head, and then threw uh, the first pitch. So, and, and one other story of this, uh, uh, about this, which shows you that he is a man of integrity. We were running in 2008, and he got to Boston. It was just uh, the Yankees in Boston were playing a critical series uh, in the middle of the pennant race. It was September, and uh, Obama came to this. There were 5,000 people waiting for him, and the organizer gives him a Red Sox cap and says, I want you to wear this cap. And Obama said, there's no freaking way I'm putting that cap on my head. And then I said, that's fine. That was the right thing. You know, Hillary Clinton got beaten up uh, in 2008 because she claimed to be a uh, Yankees fan when she was known to be a Cubs fan. And I thought, very smart. He shouldn't get into that. Then he goes out on the stage and he says, they wanted me to wear a Red Sox cap. Uh, he's, he tells this crowd of 5,000 Red Sox fans. He said, and I had to tell them they had the wrong colored socks. And everybody boos. And I'm thinking, what is he doing here? And then he says, but when you're playing the Yankees, I'm a Red Sox fan. And everybody cheered and applauded. I thought, this guy can be president of the United States. I feel really good about that now. So, uh, yeah, he's, um, he's a White Sox fan for sure. Well, how, how much did he have to sort of suck it up uh, during that White House visit in, in 2017? It was really fun. I was there. But he did bring Michelle there to represent the family with him. Uh, she rarely came to these kinds of events, and she came. Uh, she grew up rooting for Ernie Banks, uh, and her family did, and um, and felt a real connection to the team. And uh, but he we he was great because he he acknowledged his apostasy right at the beginning, and everybody knew. So it was right out in the open. But uh, but then talked about what a wonderful story it was, you know to break this curse after all those years. He, he was, you know, I miss the guy. He was great. He was great. He was great. That was a really cool uh, experience. I was, I was there covering that and just being in the room was, was really cool. By the way, just a quick follow-up to that. Have you, you know, all your time in the White House, eight, eight years there, have you ever heard of a team uh, going to the White House twice for the same championship? <laughs> no, no, no. No, that was a, that's a, that was a first, that's a first, that's a first. But I also haven't seen as many teams refuse to go to the White House as we've seen over the last, uh, Correct. over the last four years. So, yeah. yeah. So you have a unique perspective. What do you think about that when some players will be like, nope, I'm not going because it's, we, we have, till now we have always tried to say, let's just keep our sports here and our politics over there. And yes. It's not that way anymore. No, I know. And I kind of regret that. You know, even then, uh, there were several players who missed the uh, White House uh, ceremony. You remember that that happened um, during the transition from the uh, Obama to the Trump administrations in December of 2016, December or January. And there were a couple of players who, who skipped some uh, for personal reasons. Others, I think, for political reasons. I think Arietta may have been one of them who, who didn't come for... Is that right, Gordon? He, well, he says he he says that's not why. He said he had a there was a, something involved in his kid had an appointment or something. But oh well, that would be a good excuse. But but in any case, I suspect that there were a few lackey 
there, there are a few who stayed away for that reason. And it bothered me because sports should transcend politics. But, um, you know, now I have a, a slightly different perspective uh, just because of, uh, of, of Trump's um, uh, approach on race issues. And, um, you know, he's such a, a, a validly divisive figure. And to me, that's not really, that's not about political ideology. It's not about partisanship. It's about humanity and how we treat each other and how we, and whether we respect each other. And so many athletes, we have so many athletes, people of color in sports. Um, and to me, I, I, I think if I were an athlete, uh, I would have a hard time going to that ceremony, even though my fundamental view is those ceremonies are national celebrations of, uh, of a team. Uh, they're, not, they're not meant to lift up and exalt the president. Uh, you know, the problem is that uh, with this president, he thinks every event is meant to lift up and exalt him. And given his views on race, I don't blame teams who are not, who, who, who decide not to go. I, I regret to say that, but that's, the way I feel. Because once you start down that road, you know, perhaps the next group will not like the next president. And I hope we can break that. But, uh, but right now, I, I really understand why they do that. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting. But Skims has changed that. You know, I love Skims underwear. So I finally tried their bras and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. A new year is a new chance to focus on you. You're probably already picturing yourself struggling at the gym, but not all self-help has to mean suffering. Squeeze.com is making it easier than ever to elevate your wellness by delivering a juice cleanse right to your doorstep. It's the easiest juice cleanse you'll ever do that may aid in weight loss, eliminating bloating, clearing your skin, boosting your energy levels, improving sleep, and breaking bad eating habits. Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at Squeezed.com. We're going to see tonight during some of these openers and tomorrow during some of these openers, Major League Baseball's uh, doing something that, look, I've never seen this in the game, baseball players speaking out, baseball yeah. players taking knees during the anthem just in some of these exhibition games. And now we've got uh, the players driving this uh, message that's going to be seen in these openers and maybe throughout the season. Uh, Black Lives Matter, uh, unity messages on uniforms and things like that. But there's already we, we've already seen the predictable blowback to that of, of, the, of the stick to sports crowd. And I wonder, you know, as, as somebody who has, has so much of your life has been invested in politics and so much of your life has been invested in sports and knowing the history of sports. Where do you fall on that? What's your response to the stick to sports crowd? 
Look, I think that um, much as 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 I said about the ceremonies at the White House, there there are there are things that transcend sport. Um, and one thing that I that that I've, has really come to the fore uh, as a result of the tragic um, uh, murder uh, of George Floyd um, is there has been a national sort of awakening to the pervasiveness of racism. And um, I think that uh, there's so many, there are so many players of color in sports who endure that racism or whose families have endured that racism. Um, and it really doesn't matter if you get paid. You know, the, the thing about racism is when you're walking along the street, it doesn't matter if you get paid millions of dollars or if you don't, you, you're, you're often going to get treated the same way. Um, and so I think that to show for the league, you know, and for players to show um, solidarity with this concept of Black Lives Matter, which means that Black lives count as much as any other lives. Uh, I think that's an important statement to make. And um, I know that it will be controversial with some. And look, you know the sociology of baseball. There are a lot of players who come from rural areas and who may have a different view and so on. But part of this is raising awareness. And I think it's great that there are players um, uh, who are kneeling in solidarity, um, you know, who are putting their hands on teammates' shoulders in solidarity, that there are managers who are showing solidarity. You know, in, in baseball, I think it's even more meaningful in some ways than in the NBA, where the league is, is overwhelmingly African-American. And so um, not that it's not important uh, that the players and management stand up for it. And, you know, you've seen outspoken coaches like Popovich and others on this issue, uh, Steve Kerr and others. Uh, but I think it's an important statement that in America's pastime, uh, there's a recognition that uh, racism is a scourge and we're all going to stand together to try and confront it and overcome it. So when you got to Chicago yeah. and start paying attention to the Cubs and you've said, you, like my dad used to yell at my brother's a Sox fan. and I'm a Cubs fan. And my dad would go, they're from Chicago. Why can't you boys root for both teams? <laughs> and now as I've matured, one of my best friends works for the Sox. My brother said he was cheering for the Cubs in the World Series. Who was your favorite player when you came to town? You went, that's my guy. We well, see, I didn't say that's my guy right away because it, this was a process, Cap. I, uh, I was a Mets fan. And remember, you know, it wasn't that far removed. I came here in 1972. Uh, 1969 was the great collapse of the Cubs and the Miracle Mets, which was one of the greatest. That was the greatest sports year of my life because the Mets won this improbable thing. And I'd been rooting for them since I was seven years old when they came to New York, when they started. And seven years later, they went from the worst team in baseball history to this miraculous World Series winner. The Knicks won in that same cycle. The Jets won in that same cycle. I was in heaven. And I only stopped rooting for the Mets when they traded Tom Seaver to Cincinnati. That to me was the end uh, of that. But, you know, that was back. Those, those days were back in the, the, the Cardinal era, I guess. And, you know, I really, really started getting deeply. I mean, I would go to games and I'd appreciate the games, but um, you know, uh, later on uh, in the, in the Sosa era and when the Cubs started really becoming, you know, 
competitive. I love Maddox when he was with the Cubs. I was deeply upset when I still love Maddox. I think Maddox is one of the great, not just one of the great pitchers, but one of the great players uh, that I have seen in baseball. I just loved watching him uh, work. Uh, so that, you know, there were, there were players who uh, I liked, but I started really intensely rooting for the team uh, around then. And I just, you know, I, I love, uh, I loved that championship season in 2016. I, I loved what, um, what Theo put together. I wrote a piece for the New Yorker that Gordon was helpful uh, uh, in, 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 in speaking to me for um, about how, the transformation of the Cubs, uh, you know, and I give the Ricketts credit for bringing Theo here. Uh, but that was an amazing thing to watch. And, you know, the thing that I loved about it and the reason I got so intense about it was um, I saw in the way they built that Cub team and the philosophy that, in, uh, that governed that team, um, I saw the kind of spirit and the kind of cohesion and the kind of um, connection that I that I like to think animated winning political campaigns like the Obama campaign. There's a lot about our campaign in 2008 that reminded me of the the, the championship Cub team in the way they manage the players and the way the players related to each other in the smart use of data and technology. Uh, you know, so um, that was. Uh, that was big. I was in the park, by the way, the day Sammy Sosa's bat broke and the cork flew out of it. Yeah, that was uh, that was something. I remember, you know, he swung, his bat broke. Um, I, I I guess I saw something fly out of it, but I wasn't. And then all of a sudden, he's not. He doesn't jog out to right field, and it's like, and and you start piecing the thing together. Well, you saw the umpire, Tim McClellan, hold up the bat, and he waved another umpire. I'm like, oh, God, that thing's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, uh, Sammy, um, Sammy lived in my building in Chicago during the, the apex of his Cub career, and my father-in-law also lived in our building, who was by that time in his 90s. And he was – my father-in-law wasn't restrained when he was a young man, but as an old man, he said, whatever the hell – he was thinking, and we're standing next to Sosa. We're both waiting for our car from the garage, and he says to Sosa, he says, my God, you're no bigger than me. And, uh, and Sosa looks at him and says, it's all in the shoulders, all in the shoulders. But obviously it wasn't all in the shoulders. But uh, He's going vitamin bottle. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I was, I was going to – I hope I didn't uh, stop your story there. No, no, go ahead. I was going to go back to not sticking to sports for a second. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're, we're in this, uh, from all our lifetimes, uh, the, the three of us that are on this thing talking now, uh, a time that's unprecedented within those lifetimes uh, in terms of multiple levels of national and global crisis. When it comes to this pandemic, uh, <sighs> Your administration that you were involved with had a had a plan because you'd gone through a couple of things uh, along the way, and you know, I really hate to to even att attempt to minimize this by talking about sports being delayed all the way to the end of July. 
but so many things have happened uh, on a timeline that may not have re required this kind of a timeline. Mm -hmm. As you watched it, even if that timeline were to say still start in March, when you watch the response and the result of the response, whether it's on baseball or sports or many more important things than that, how frustrating is that for you to watch? Well, let me, let me separate a few issues. First of all, to me, I was in Washington, D.C. for the primaries, um, and I was uh, in my hotel near CNN, uh, and I was watching uh, the, uh, the game when the, uh, the news broke that the NBA, I guess Dallas was playing somebody, uh, and the NBA, Silver announced that he was pulling the league down. Uh, and uh, I had just actually come from Arizona, Gordon. I just uh, the last baseball game I saw was uh, a, a spring training game, at the beginning of March. And um, all of a sudden, I guess I mean, this is from being a, a lifelong sports fan, but th somehow the gravity of the situation became very, very clear. And I actually give Adam Silver a lot of credit because he jumped on the thing right away. But um, you know. Um, there is no doubt this is a this is a once in a century pandemic. There was no easy way uh, to deal with it, but there is no doubt that weeks and weeks and weeks were lost because the president did not want to do the things that were necessary in terms of shutting down the country. He didn't want to uh, because he was planning to run on a strong economy. He knew that would have deleterious effects on the economy. And let's be clear: the economic destruction from this is profound. And there are people all over this country who are suffering, who've lost their small businesses, who've lost their jobs. It is not an easy thing. And we shouldn't be cavalier about that. But you're also not going to keep your job or your business if we repeatedly have resurgences of this virus. And so you had to take the strong medicine and other countries did it. You know, South Korea is one sixth the size of America, but They've had 300 deaths and we've had 143,000. Uh, you know, Europe is now settled down and we are, uh, we are, we had 71,000 new cases yesterday, a thousand deaths. Um, and that is a consequence of inconstant policies of, um, of the inability or unwillingness of, uh, of the leadership to, uh, to, urge the country to do what was necessary. I mean, we've had this weird situation where the president who's leading the government that's supposed to respond to the crisis is also leading the resistance to the recommendations of the government that's trying to deal with the crisis. And that's one of the reasons why you see the flare-ups in Florida and you see the flare-ups in Texas uh, now and in, in Georgia and other places where they follow the president's lead, opened up early, uh, didn't wear masks, and now they have a terrible problem on their hands. So we still would have a crisis. We still would have loss. We still would, would have been in, in a deep, deep problem here, but it didn't have to be as severe as it is. And uh, that is a shame. And it's, it's more than frustrating. It's outraging. Uh, and, um, you know, I just feel for all the people who suffered unnecessarily uh, because of it. All that said, Gordon, and I'll, this is the last point, I'll get off my soapbox. We also have to accept some responsibility ourselves. The fact of the matter is that, uh, you know, and particularly among younger people, 
there was this sense of invulnerability. It looked like that. Now the president helped by kind of saying it's over, we're past it. You know, vice president said, we'll probably be, it'll be in the rear view mirror by Memorial Day and everything. Memorial Day, everybody came out and partied. Right. And uh, that was the beginning of the, the you know, the end uh, of, of, that, of that sort of leveling off of, uh, of, of the virus. So um, there's personal responsibility here too, but the leadership has failed. And, um, uh, you know, the, I, I'm afraid this guy did a podcast uh, with Anthony Fauci earlier today. And uh, one of the things he said was, even if this virus even if this vaccine is successful by the end of the year and we clears all its hurdles, we're probably looking an, uh, to another year before we can return to any semblance of normalcy uh, because it's going to take that long for enough people to be vaccinated that we feel safe in, 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 op- you know, genuinely opening up. That's a, you know, another year of this is a very uh, chilling proposition, but that is the reality uh, that we face. Thursday, July 23rd marks one year out from the Tokyo Olympics. The world will come back together to celebrate competition, unity, and the triumph of the human spirit. Tokyo is set to welcome the best athletes on earth as they pursue a dream delayed after persevering through this challenging year. 2021 brings us all an event to look forward to as U.S. stars like Simone Biles, Katie Ledecky, and Allison Felix seek to make history on their sport's biggest stage. The Tokyo Games begin next July on NBC. You know, you look at the, the, the hot spots, and some of them you alluded to. California's got five baseball teams. Florida, I mean, we're just talking any yeah. game. It's yeah. Sobering to think of the big picture, but if we just look at, we're here talking about baseball. I mean, just in, within baseball, you've got well over one-third of the league in, in the biggest hot spots in the country and uh, and now they're going to start traveling. Um, yeah. Do you, how big is your concern that they'll be able to to finish? It's con- it's a big concern. You know, it's a big concern. I mean, I've missed baseball terribly. Okay. I mean, I just it just that's one of the things that makes everything seem so unnatural. You know, I mean, I log a lot of hours in front of that TV. I mean, the, the, here's the thing about being a, a, an efficient, a fan of both teams is, um, you know, there's always a game to watch. Always. And uh, uh, so um, I, I've really missed that. I miss being out at the ballpark. You know, I just people um, I have this argument with my wife all the time because she we met playing basketball. She, we were in a co-ed game together for four years before I had the guts to ask her out. And um and she loves basketball, and uh, some of our first dates were at Bulls games. And um, but she doesn't like baseball. Like a lot of people, she's too slow. It's you know not enough action and all of that stuff. And I always say to her, look, you go to a, a basketball game, a hockey game, a football game. But when you go to a baseball game, you say, I'm going to the ballpark. Right. I'm going to the ballpark. And it's not just about the game, although I think the game is beautiful. It's about sitting outside. And actually, the pace of the game allows you to visit with the person you're with. And it's such a, way, a great way to relax. My dad was a, um, an immigrant, and I, he learned how to play baseball. He came to New York, learned how to play baseball before I think he learned English. And uh, he played sandlot ball with Hank Greenberg. He got a he, he was a sandlot, like, uh, he was a schoolboy, like, pitching 
phenom in New York, got a college scholarship to pitch. And when I came around, we spent every weekend at the ballpark. It's some of the most great, the greatest memories of my life is just sitting out at the ballpark with my dad. And, um, you know, uh, man, I miss that. I miss going out there and I miss. So, yeah, and that's a long diversion uh, from your question. But um, but I do, you know, I worry. You see guys going down every day. There's stories of different guys. Soto now today in Washington has COVID. Um, you know, uh, you wonder if they can keep this thing going. Um, so, so here's my question for you. I used to be a college scout or college basketball coach. I was an NBA scout, and when the season would be, we'd get to training camp or get to workouts, we'd sit down and try and map out how we can be successful. So when you had to sit down the first time with Barack Obama, he's not the president, there are a lot of people who go, who? Who's right. not? When you map that out, was that anything like trying to map out how can we journey through this season and come out yes. of this season on the Yes, other? I think I, that's a, I was getting at that before. I think a baseball season is like a presidential campaign and in a lot of different ways. You need to take the long view. You need to really understand what your strategy is, what the opposition is like. Um, and you need to be prepared for the ups and downs, just like presidential campaigns you know, there are, there are going to be peaks and there are going to be valleys and you have to keep your head around about you and play through the bad times and not get too intoxicated uh, in the good times. And you do this all in both, in both baseball and politics, you do it under the watchful eye of millions of people who all think they're smarter than you. And they're always willing to share their, they're generous with their opinions uh, so, um, you know, it takes, that's why cohesion in the group is so important because you have to be, you know, you got to ride the good times, but you also have to be able to stand the pressure and the bad times when everybody is saying, you know what, you ought to bench that guy. You shouldn't pitch this guy. They suck. They're not going to win. Um, and you've got to be able to have enough confidence in the plan and confidence in each other. To, to play through that. And so, yeah, really, really, um, it's striking to me how, um, how much uh, similarity there is uh, to all of that. And then, you know, you add in the, in, in politics as in sports now, you know, using data. Um, analytics. Uh, analytics is, you know, when we, in 2012, Cap, when we started the uh, second Obama campaign, analytics was in its infancy in 2008. 2012, the first thing we did, one of the first things we did was we hired 54 analytics people, 54 analytics people, and they sat in front of their computers in a windowless part of the campaign headquarters like mushrooms, and they did brilliant things that in so many different ways gave us an edge. Uh, and you can see, you know, obviously uh, Theo is a big believer uh, in this, but all of sports is now uh, caught up and the analytics guys maybe sometimes to a fault in my view you know every once in a while um, I get tired of seeing guys positioning themselves defensively and taking away what in the past would have been a base hit uh, because some algorithm told them to move over 10 feet but uh, but uh, no there's a lot of similarities uh, between um, between a, a long baseball season and a long campaign uh, and it's one of the things I love about it you know, the, the other side of that, too, when you talk about 
the comparison with analytics, running campaigns versus seasons and player evaluations, there you'll still never ever get away from the human side in both. From I mean, you, yes, right. I mean, sometimes the power of personality just overtakes uh, all the anal analytics and. Uh, you know, told, you know, told me that Joe Madden, and he said, uh, you know, uh, if uh, if uh, you know, you, you can you can look at all the analytics you want, but if Jason Hayward doesn't take the team inside during the rain delay uh, in in uh, Cleveland, uh, we probably don't win that game. Uh, he said, you know, they're just intangibles. He said, analytics may tell me that. Uh, I should pitch around Joey Votto, he says. But if I know Joey Votto, you know, is uh, is in a is is has something going on in his life, or something's going wrong, and he's been in a, in a funk. Like I'm pitching to Joey Votto, you know, no matter what the analytics says. So part of what the art of using analytics is 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 blending it with what you know of people, and then of course, Gordon, you. You know, you can position that guy can move over ten feet, and the ground ball can be hit right to him, but he's still got to catch it and throw it to first. Uh, and so, you know, you can't take that out of the game, the ability. And you know, one of one of the things I love about sports is, um, you know, we we all watch the great uh, that great uh, documentary. Uh, the last dance. One of the things I loved about Michael Jordan, but I love about great baseball players or any athletes is the, the, I love watching people who elevate when the pressure is on people who want to be that person who takes that shot, who's at the plate when the game's on the line, you, you, you know, those are the guys you really want to watch. Um, and it's one of the things that makes sports so beautiful the, the ability to shut all that pressure out and actually be motivated by it um you know i've talked to i've done some podcasts with with athletes like bill walton in, trying to tether him down and understand what he was saying wasn't that easy but i love bill he's a wonderful guy and i said you know uh, he went like five years through high school and three years of college before he lost a game five undefeated seasons and you know he was the common denominator and i said you know and i was in by the way 1973 i was a freshman in college i hitchhiked down to st louis for the ncaa finals and bill walton i think they were playing indiana maybe they were playing memphis state they were playing memphis state bill walton hit 21 of 22 shots this was in the championship game 21 of 22 shots he uh, and they were none of them were they, they weren't allowed to dunk then. He was, they were mostly jumpers, bank shots. He had like eight assists, 12, 10, 12 rebounds. And I said, like, how do you – he said, how you – I said, how you handle the pressure of a game like that? He said, no, that was what I lived for. I lived for having the ball in my hand in those games. And that's the way Jordan was. And that's the way – there were baseball players who you just know uh, you, you, they're the guy you want up. In a, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I'm not elevating Rizzo to, uh, to uh, Jordan standards, but like he's the kind of guy who, when there's pressure, you kind of want at the plate, you know, uh, who's going to react well to it and handle it well. One of the great things about sports. So hey, explain to me how you strategize in the job that you have. I remember Bill Clinton going on, I think it was David Letterman and playing his saxophone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember the current president 
Trump going on, I don't remember which show it was. It might have, it, it was one of the talk shows. And then I read an article where Hillary Clinton, they were very cautious. At yes. The end. And yeah. Bill said, trust me, I know people, you need to do more of this and less of yeah. the politics. So how do you let the politician, you're kind of the head coach, the politicians, Michael Jordan, how do you let them show their personality, but not go completely against the analytics? Yeah, you know, one of the things that was great about Obama was he could be trusted. Like I, he was, you know, he was a Michael Jordan of politics kind of guy. Bill Clinton was another. Uh, and, you know, you always uh, could kind of count on him to, uh, uh, I mean, I've got a million stories like this, but he got into a hassle with John McCain when they were both senators, neither were running for president and uh, uh, and uh, McCain wrote a, or one of his staffers wrote a really caustic letter that they released to Obama on a Friday that Tuesday Obama came back to Washington and his first meeting was a committee meeting in McCain's committee and uh, he uh, you know he patted McCain on the back and they had a laugh and afterwards the reporters said well what do you think about Senator McCain's letter and Obama all on his own says, um, well, look, he said, John's been here, what, 25 years? You've spent 25 years around here. You have a right to be grouchy. He says, I don't blame him. And it was just perfect. It was just perfect, you know. And there were times there were, there were strategy calls. I'll give you another example. Obama was running for president, and he, um, uh, he was asked, Hillary and McCain were uh, Hillary was still in the race and McCain was the nominee of the Republican Party. They both endorsed a gas tax hollow, holiday because the gas prices were high. They asked Obama about it and he didn't talk to any of us. And he just said, I'm not for that. He said, we tried that in Illinois and it's just a, it's a scam. The money never gets to consumers. He said, I, I'm not going to be for that. And everybody in Washington thought we had made this terrible mistake. And we polled. And you know what people thought? They thought he's right. We'll never get the money. And we appreciate that he told us the truth and that he's not bullying us like the other people. And he's intuitively, you know, got there. So time and time and time again, uh, you know, he validated our trust. So, yeah, we could give him strategic imperatives. Uh, but there are times when you just have to react, just like in sports. And you want candidates who can. I think Hillary Clinton, I know her. I think she's a far more personable uh, person than she came across in that campaign. She's, she was very, um, she's very uh, tight in front of the cameras. And, the, and as a result, the campaign adjusted to her and kind of, uh, you know, did not put her at, at, at risk perhaps as much as they, they should have. Um, but um, but you, you need, if you're going to play in the big leagues in politics, and she is a big leaguer, I don't want to suggest otherwise, the people who are most successful are the people who are confident, they understand their strategy, they understand their message, but they, they know how to ad-lib in the moment. Think on their feet. Yeah, and also, you know, the thing about going on, uh, uh, I think Clinton went on Arsenio Hall's show. Uh, Obama used to do these, you know, he'd go on with John Stewart, he'd go on with, and uh, these were always good opportunities for him because he was very human, he was funny, uh, he was willing to make fun of himself, which is a very important thing in Donald politics. Training's a huge, huge trait. Not, not Donald Trump's strength there, 
but uh, it is a, it is an important quality. So um, so we always you know we always felt and 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 later in his administration, Obama you you know he went on the show uh, Between Two Ferns for example, uh, the the you know with the streaming show um, and. You know, everybody said, well, why would you do that? Well, you know what? It got like 10 million views. And he went on there to sell health care. And it was funny. And, you know, uh, Zach uh, kind of abused him. But uh, he gave as good as he got. And he got his point across and reached a lot of young people who he needed to sign up for the Affordable Care Act. So, yeah, you want you want to work with candidates and, and office holders who have that quality, who aren't uh, who aren't tight in front of the cameras. Just getting back to, you know, the, the Cubs have had two guys. And, I, you know, I don't know. Uh, I suspect Gordon Ross may be the same. But, um, you know, I thought that Madden uh, and, and Theo are you – could, you, could, you could hold courses on their interactions with the media. Um, you know, both just masters at it because they were candid enough um, – that uh you know you you guys didn't feel like that you know you were you were being played uh they're 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 funny they're self-deprecating you know theo's a drier wit than joe but i always you know i look at it from the standpoint of a political consultant's eye and i'd stand back and watch them handle the press and i thought i could i could use some of this as a training tape for candidates uh they were so good do you think theo's going to be a candidate someday I think Theo would be a good candidate, you know, great. Can- I, I, I have a, I have a high regard for, by the way, both those guys. I went to see um, uh, Joe's project in, uh, in his hometown in, in Pennsylvania, the, uh, his, uh, his project to welcome immigrants, the HIP program. Yeah. Uh, to welcome immigrants uh, to his town. And uh, so appreciated that. But Theo, Theo is a really profound guy. I mean, my experience with him is he cares deeply about the world. He cares deeply about injustice. Um, And, um, you know, he's deeply passionate. I don't know if he has the patience for politics, but, you know, he has a lot of qualities of, he has the qualities of a leader in that he knows how to, he knows how to bring people together around a common goal. And um, he knows how to forge group dynamics um, I just I just actually put up a podcast that I did back with him in 2017. Oh, I listened to it. It's awesome. Yeah, one of the clips that I one of the clips I put out, Cap, was um, uh, was his his thought about how he was very wedded to uh, data and statistics to start with. It's obviously really still important to him. But as time went on, he realized that the cohesion of the group, having good just good presences in the clubhouse and people who jive together and uh and uh, was as important as anything and um what was interesting to me about that is a i think it's true in any organization but certainly one in a competitive environment a campaign or a a, a team but it also showed theo theo is a guy who it seems to me is always asking questions of himself like what could we do better what did we do wrong here how can we do better next time? What do we learn from this? Um, that's a wonderful uh, quality in a leader, you know. Appreciate your time. Love talking to you. It's great I'm, to be with you guys. We'll get you back again. And best Anytime. 
Anytime. Let's hope we get through this season. And uh, I'd love to see this crew, uh, even if it's a Demi title, I'd love to have another one here in Chicago in 2000. Wouldn't that pick everybody's mood up a little? If we get the two, the Cubs and the Sox to meet. Yeah. We're going to get one day President Obama and his wife to come on and talk baseball, Cubs and Sox. I will pass the message along. All right, fellas. Great to be with you. Thanks a lot. Yeah. That was awesome. That's David Axelrod. And that is a wrap for this edition. Gordon, that was awesome, man. That was great. I could have gone on for another half hour. Could ask him a ton of stuff. That was a lot of fun. That's David Axelrod. He's Gordon Wittenmeyer. I'm David Kaplan. Thank you to our great producers, Tony Gill and Jeff Nelson. Everything brought to you by Wintrust, home of Cubs checking. Gordon, I will see you next time. NBC has got something special for you. Introducing our brand new streaming service, Peacock TV. From live sports to news, documentaries, and even some of your favorite shows, NBC Universal's new streaming service, Peacock, has it all. Learn more at PeacockTV.com, exclusive home for all of NBC Sports' free Premier League coverage. In deep with Ryan Lochte, Lost Speedways, hosted by Dale Earnhardt Jr., and so much more. That's PeacockTV.com to learn more. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois.